Hey y'all. This is Talkin' Trash with Liv and Lizzie. The podcast where two friends show each other our silliest and most treasured movies. Each week we'll watch a beloved movie. No matter how corny, childish, or contrived. Sometimes a masterpiece with minor flaws. Other times a magnificent mess. Because one man's trash is Liv and Lizzie's treasure. song from Beauty and the Beast. I could have. <laughs> man, my French professor in college was a man named Mr. Anjar, and he would be so offended by me because the only thing I remember from his class is how to say the French word for futon. Do you know what it is? Is it futon? It is on click clack. <laughs> That's the only word that, was... that I remember. That was like my favorite word we learned in Spanish class was for pancakes. Pancakes. <laughs> I don't even know if that's how it's said in every country, but we were we were taught that and I thought it was hilarious. Oh my god. Well, what up fam? Um <laughs> we are um it has been it has been a week, quite a week. So, um we're a little slap happy. We're a little sla- How are we doing? Um. Okay. <laughs> just, just, just okay. Like, just, like the election is done, and I am personally very happy with the results. That is, that is the biggest like relief right now. Like yeah. the fact that I have to stop and think about like, okay, there's other things going on in my life, but like this, this sort of underlying tension that has been present the whole week. It, that's gone. And yeah. I feel like everything else is going to improve in light of that. I've been, like, obsessively checking the results in a kind of unhealthy way. Um, so I'm glad that part of my week is done. Yeah. That, like, it's been decided, it is what it is, and now we can all breathe. Yeah. And move on. And I I don't know. I Part of me wonders if I'm going to enjoy this viewing experience, particularly today, like if if failed French Revolution is Do gonna get me more hype, <laughs> like headbanging to like yes, uh, yeah. So um, today we are watching Les Mis, twenty twelve. Yeah, the the musical adaptation directed by Tom Hooper, starring um, Anne Hathaway, starring Hugh Jackman. Russell Crowe, bless his heart. Bless his heart. Eddie Redmayne, Amanda uh, Sig- Siegfried, Siegfried, Siegfried. Say, thank you. Um, and uh, Samantha Barks, amongst others. Um, this is a film that is different for us because we've both seen it. Yes. We both highly enjoy it. Yes. This is this is a treasure of mine. Um, and yet, it is deeply deeply flawed. This film is the one that's in my treasure pile, but it's buried deep and I keep it secret. Like, mm. like I feel no shame for enjoying this film. Oh, I do. I feel so much shame for enjoying nah. this film. <laughs> uh, 
But, but, but before we get into a more intense discussion about the film, what is the vibe this week? Um, the vibe is, the vibe is bread. bread. Yep. I didn't Play steal this. this bread. No, we bought it. Uh, we went to Chick-fil-A, <laughs> um, and got sandwiches, so it's not really bread. We should have gotten, like, a sub sandwich or something like that. Oh, that would have been a little more, like, yeah. on the nose. Got to get, um, like, a crusty loaf. Yep. <laughs> That was really satisfying to say. Uh, this episode's <laughs> gonna be so bad. Yeah. <laughs> um. Hopefully, hopefully it will not be as bad as last week's. Yeah. We speaking of bad episodes, we appreciate the patience with last week's. We had some issues with recording it. Yeah. So there were some little like blips and things, and we also went way too long. We did. We had a lot to say. <laughs> um. The recording device gave out at least once or twice while yes, recording, which yeah. was not good. Um, and then also the original cut was like an hour and 40 minutes. We went, we went hard. I had a lot to say about it. <laughs> um, I will. And to be fair, I did too. I, yeah. I gushed way too long at the beginning. Yeah. So. so we're gonna, we're gonna try to keep this one a little bit shorter and, and maybe not sweeter, but definitely shorter. It will not be longer than the movie. I think I think that's safe. Just say <laughs> last week's might have almost been, been longer, longer than, than the movie. movie. <laughs> um, all right, so why don't we uh, why don't we just jump right in then? Yeah. So you tell me first about like your your first experience watching either this movie or your familiarity with the musical. Like, what does Les Mis mean to you, Liv? Okay. So yeah, let's start. Um, Let's start then with the musical. Um, I'm going to be straight. I'm going to be honest with you um, in the fact that my first introduction to Les Mis as a musical is highly embarrassing. I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. It was, I don't remember if it aired on Tuesdays or Wednesdays. It doesn't matter. But I came home and every single... Uh, weeknight that this show aired, my mom and I sat down to watch Glee. Ah. Uh, and there was Rachel Berry, mm-hmm. the most insufferable character, in my opinion, in television history. I gotta be honest, I never watched Glee, so these names will mean nothing to me, but... I watched it pretty religiously for a mm-hmm. few years. Um, it, yeah, I, so... This is a show about forgiving people for their trash, so you don't need to be embarrassed to fair. share. <laughs> that's fair. Um, you have no idea how religiously I watched Once Upon a Time for a while, so you good. That's... Yeah, I watched that for a bit, too. <laughs> um, we all know why we watched it. Yeah. It was, it was for Captain Hook. We all were here for Captain yeah. Hook. Um, but yeah, so... Um, Rachel Berry started singing On My Own, and I was like, wow, that song slaps. And then I found out where it was from, and I decided to listen to the musical. So my first ever listening experience to Les Mis, besides Rachel Berry, um, was the original London West End cast Mm -hmm. um, album. Mm -hmm. Not a bad place to start. No. um, In fact, um, to this day, that's my favorite production that's that's ever been um I I I think it's just because I grew up with those guys Mm -hmm. um but they all have a very soft spot soft spot in my heart you got this um a soft spot um but yeah so that was my first introduction to the musical and then of course um 
one of my best friends growing up, Marisa, she loved the musical as well. Um, she had read the book, so she was always there to tell me about, like, the book and, you know, how things stacked up. And um, her mom got us tickets to see the show at the Fox. Mm-hmm. So we went and saw it live. Um, that was incredible. And then, of course, this film came out. And, um, yeah, so that, that's my relationship mm-hmm. with Les Mis from the theater perspective. Mm-hmm. What about you? So I have actually still never seen it performed live. Really? Much to my great dismay. Um, I remember uh, growing up and asking uh, mom what her favorite musical was, and I knew her favorite movie was The Sound of Music, so I expected her to say that. And I was very surprised when she said Les Mis. Um, and she would just gush about Les Mis and how beautiful it was. And it, it still makes me sad that I haven't seen it performed live on stage because that seems to be the uh, definitive experience. Oh, hands down. Um, but this movie, like, objectively, this film sucks after you've seen it live. Oh, yeah. I, I And that's the thing is I know I haven't had the full experience mm-hmm. watching this movie. It will, um, it will taint your enjoyment of this film. Yeah. It, Period. I, 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 would, I would honestly hope it did. Yeah. Um, but I... Uh, I listened to the uh, 25th anniversary, um, I, su- I say listen to it, I actually watched the mm-hmm. like concert production, so yes, that was the one with Joe Jonas, but yeah. I feel like he gets talked about way too much. Wasn't it Nick? Um, Nick, yeah, yes. One of the Joe Bros who wasn't Kevin, I'm, who's my favorite. <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting here like... Like, remembering being in high school with my Jonas Brothers binder and my Jonas Brothers pencil case and my Jonas Brothers t-shirts and unironically watching Camp Rock and the Jonas show. <laughs> and I'm just like, <laughs> I'm like, um, wasn't it, Nick? I, I know it was. <laughs> I knew it was Nick Jonas. And, and I just didn't want to be like, like, Lizzie, like, <laughs> you got the wrong Jonas Brother. But I did. You did, and (laughs) I'm trying not to be offended by it. (laughs) Um, I am a little bit, though. I have failed you. You have failed me. That's okay. Last week, I said the wrong name for the Bennett estate, so, uh, you know. (laughs) Props on on, uh, remembering and acknowledging that. I appreciate that. Oh, it, like, haunts Um, my dreams. I'm not gonna lie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, so, um, that was also where I first heard Samantha Barks, fell in love with her. Um, so I was really excited when I found out she was going to be in this. Um, but I also, that was me and, or my roommate and I, we loved Les Mis and we would, you know, drive around college campus just blasting, you know, One Day More and Do You Hear the People oh, yeah. Saying. Like, oh yeah. Uh, so I, I loved it. And more importantly, um, I think part of why I can never dislike Les Mis is that this is probably one of my favorite stories. Mm-hmm. It's um, a really good story. I am a absolute sucker for redemption arcs, but only if they're good. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not even so much that Jean Valjean like was this horrible person and then had to be redeemed, but more the um, first act of like kindness and grace so significantly mm-hmm. transforms his life and that just like that hits me where it counts mm-hmm. and I, I will say for all of this movie's flaws I think that's it's greatest strength 
bringing um, the original Jean Valjean back as the Montressor, which destroys me. So that, by the way, that Valjean is Colm Wilkinson, Wilkinson, yes, who was the original Valjean in the West End production. Yeah. So he was the first Valjean I ever heard. Yep. And when I saw him, when I say that the first time I saw this movie, I cried from the moment that man walked on screen. Mm-hmm. Literally to the end credits. Um, and also, I the first time I saw this film, I was on a date. It was a first date. I was I walked in with winged eyeliner. I walked out with not even foundation on my face. Yeah. Just snot. Yeah. And I don't think... <laughs> needless to say, I never heard from that guy again. <laughs> not a good first impression. Not a good first Let's date be movie. Real. Yeah, that's a horrible first date. He should date not movie. have taken me to that. And I should have I should have known better. Well, but. so funnily enough, um I realize these past few episodes like my mom has shaped my taste so significantly. Mm-hmm. Um we we went and saw this movie together. And um I did the thing where like I I shed like two tears per like cry moment. So, you know, I would wait for like songs to happen and I'd cry and sometimes I'd cry more than that, but um I was just sort of like it was like little cries throughout the whole movie because it's lame is and it tugs at your heartstrings. Um and at the end I turned to my mom who was sitting there, like locked, just staring at the screen, no expression on her face. I was like, Did you like it? She went Mm-hmm. I said, okay. Are you are you ready to go? Mm-hmm. And I thought she hated it. And we walked out of the movie theater. We got into our car. And my mom broke down. Oh. Just weeping. Sobbing. And, like, trying to articulate the fact that, like, <laughs> she made his life better oh no losing it and i was just kind of staring but then i started crying with her and i turned and looked at the car and pulled it apart across from us there's these two ladies in it looking straight at my mother with like deep concern on their faces like is she okay you're like don't worry we just watched like that was basically it and so i mean she she cried the whole way home so she had like bottled it up and just exploded um and and she to this day will insist that if you don't cry when Jean Valjean goes to heaven, then you have no soul. So yeah. she thinks my father has no soul because it didn't make him cry. Um, but like, I, I get it. I get for mm-hmm. both of us. It's why this story yeah. is so important to us. Yeah. I don't think this is the best production or articulation right. of that story. But I love that it gives people access to the story. Yes. Um, oh, you go ahead. Oh, well, I was just going to say, and there's so many things about this story and just this film in particular that it it's just brought so much um fun to to me and my friends like in college um this is just an example um we the like dining room of our apartment had this like sliding glass door and the way that the lights reflected it gave like a perfect like dark ghoulish ghostly impression of whoever was sitting at the dining room table. Mm. Um, it was a terrifying uh, 
it was a terrifying little reflection, terrifying little door. But of course, every time we saw ourselves, we'd jump and then everyone else would go, phantom faces at the window. <laughs> every time, like hundreds of times over the years that we lived there. Um, and just little things like that. Um, and, and my friend Marisa, who I mentioned at the beginning, shout out Marisa. Um, she, when we were in high school, we would sing through the whole thing, but I would be... Valjean and she would be Javert and we would not sing any other part and we wouldn't deviate we would and the confrontation was our favorite song oh, that to is, sing yeah absolutely so you know we it just like the memories that this show has given me as a whole I'm glad that this movie exists if nothing else to share those yeah those songs and those memories yeah. with a wider audience I kind of don't want to get into like breaking down like the uh the nitty gritty of it, yeah. Until let's save we've it. rewatched it, um, but I will say, I, I guess it's hard to do like what do you expect since we've both seen it. But I expect that I'll probably feel about the same by mm-hmm. the end of this. Yeah, uh, but it has been a while since I've watched it. Um, something that I, I do think we should bring up is this movie. Um, like I said, like you said, we'll talk about the critical stuff later. Um, but normally we talk about kind of the stats of the film. Yeah, and. Um, I think it's worth mentioning that this movie was not horribly received. I mean, you know, it, I mean, it, it was nominated for and won a couple Oscars. Um, you know, it's, it's got a 69% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 63 on Metacritic. Um, there seems to be a general consensus that overall the film was pretty successful. Um, so there's a lot bad to be said about it. I think this is one of those films that's going to age poorly. Yes. Um, and we'll talk about that when we come back, but, um, going into it, this film definitely struck a chord with audiences when they first saw it, even critics. Um, you kind of see the older, the criticism, the more critique it gets. Well, and it's kind of, it's kind of like, you know, your Phantom of the Operas. Like, if you were a fan of that musical, Mm -hmm. you were going to see this and you were going to enjoy parts of Mm -hmm. it, no matter, you know, how well it was made, just because finally there was access to it. Yeah. And, and kind of the same way, like, Phantom of the Opera, in a lot of ways, was garbage. And yet definitely in my treasure pile though yeah but literally that was my first access to like a musical mm-hmm. that was like my first real musical i would not love musical theater without that movie yeah as bad as it is yeah that movie changed my life yeah you know so and and this movie to an extent as well just deepened my love for musical theater like without this film I don't know that I would have sought out Hamilton, you know. Yeah. I, I don't know that I would be a fan of Hades Town. I don't know that I would have listened to music from, like, the Legally Blonde musical or Heather's or anything like that, you know. Yeah. So, that's why it's in our treasure pile. Yep. So, I guess let's watch it. Yeah. I I'm, I'm, I shall take, take copious notes for myself, Good. at least, because I know, and I'm going to try and trim down to, like, the high highs mm-hmm. and the low lows and uh let let everything else that's yeah. in the middle just kind of be in the middle yeah. so i think that's fair and i to me it kind of feels like we've said a lot of the good stuff up front mm-hmm. so the second half will kind of be more of a trash fest 
Probably. But that's maybe. okay. I think, I think it'll from, be more from you than from me. <laughs> yeah, I've got a lot more to say yeah. negatively about this film. But, um, alright, so we are gonna go watch it now. Limiz. Ooh. So, we're back. If, if I sound sniffly through this, it's because the the ending the ending does it right for for me so i did have a nice good cry at the ending there i got a little sniffly so why don't we take a second then and talk about what the ending gets right so i i said when we started this that the reason why this musical and this movie scene means so much to me um is because of the story mm-hmm. and um the ending jean valjean dying Holm Wilkinson, the priest being there to mm-hmm. welcome him into heaven, just destroys me. And that was something that I had mentioned. Yes. Um, I, I don't know. I know there have been changes throughout the various versions. And the one that I am most familiar with is the original West End production. In the original West End production, for whatever reason, Fontaine comes to get him when he passes on, her soul yeah. comes to guide him. That makes perfect sense. And then Eponine is the third part of the harmony. Like, she's there to guide him, too. Yeah, I don't understand that either. Which doesn't make sense, because he never really has a relationship with Eponine in no. the the show. So, to me, that's one thing that I like, change-wise, from the movie, yeah. is that they brought um, the the priest back. I really appreciate that change. Yeah. Um, and something to me... Um, I'm, we're not going to talk too much about the musicality here. We're not, we're going to talk about it a little bit. It's unavoidable. It's been, it's been spoken about so much. And and we actually mentioned there's a fantastic video on YouTube by the channel Sideways Mm -hmm. talking about the music in this, um, that it would just sort of be replicating a lot right. of what's said there. Um, if you're not familiar with Sideways, he is a um, video essayist that focuses on music and music theory, and he's really incredible. Um, so he does a really, really great job of dissecting what does not work musically with Les Mis. Yeah. But what I do want to give credit to in this scene, and frankly, the second half of the movie, is that they actually, for the most part, hit the notes and do get the notes yeah. Correct, and to me, um, they they meet the orchestration too. Like yeah. the beginning is a lot of people like slowing down and having dramatic pauses. Yes, and here, like you can tell, the orchestra didn't have to work around them. A whole yes, lot. it's way more natural in line with the music. Also, something about the second half is this: the second half has a lot more um, musical theater actors in it. Yes, um, so they kind of know what they're doing. In Those, terms barricade of boys know what's Those barricade up. boys know what's up. <laughs> um, but I think what we see here in this final scene is that Hugh Jackman, who, you know, he's he's taken a lot of liberties with the music throughout, but in this scene, he pretty much stays on beat and correct yeah. with the timing of the music. Eddie Redmayne, who, from what I've heard from, like, interviews, I know he's talked about being rather obsessed with the show so I think he kind of kept it yeah. true to form um Amanda uh Seyfried I have no idea if it's Seyfried Seyfried or Seyfried yeah I'm not sure which one it is um I'm really bad at pronouncing last names um which will be a point that we'll talk oh, about are you later ready to talk about Rabin Kabirlu for a little bit <laughs> <laughs> I'm always ready to talk about him me um, too me too girl yeah um I think let's hold off 
though, on that point. Because yeah. um, the, the point, just with the end, is that it's very in sync and harmonious in a way that the rest of the musical isn't. We talked about how much we like anytime they're singing Do You Hear the People Sing, whether it's like the final like dead people barricade or mm-hmm. like interrupting the funeral procession because it's a musical chorus. And yes. It, it builds appropriately. And it has to be consistent because so many people are singing it together. Yes, it's a march, um, so it works. And I think that's why the second half of the movie works better is because you don't have as many solos for the most part. It There is a lot more harmony and there's a lot more like dynamic elements to it. We're going to talk a lot about the camera work soon, um, but I wanted to take a second and talk about... We're going to... I'm going to spend a good deal of time complaining about the close-ups because a lot of times they feel unearned um and i'll explain what i mean by that in a minute but the intimacy of the last scene a child her husband and their father who is dying it feels earned to have the scene feel close and intimate in a way that to me a lot of the other scenes don't um so i actually like the close shots um, it's one of the few scenes where we have a legitimate establishing shot. Um, if, oh, that was a huge... Yeah, that was a huge... The entire time was just me screaming about that. Um, if you're not familiar with what an establishing shot is, an establishing shot, establishing shot is often a, um, a shot done from much farther away that just kind of shows you the lay of the room or the set. It helps you understand where actors where are. Where the people are. Where the people are within the scene. Um, something that Tom Hooper does not do ever is establishing shots, and I hate him for it. There were I so have, many moments where we looked at each other and we're like, where are they? What are they doing? What's going on? <laughs> are they right next to each other? How far away are they from each other? And you don't know, and that's that's a flaw. He's also very... He, you can tell that he wants to have interesting composition, but he's not asking himself why he needs it. Mm-hmm. So he'll be like, ooh, I like the way this person looks in the corner with a big empty background. Yes. Or, ooh, we need a Dutch angle here. We need to turn the yeah. camera 45 degrees. And I don't understand why. He makes <laughs> films the way that I shot movies with my friends when I was in high school. <laughs> um, there's no artistic thought that goes into the shots there's no purpose like for example dutch angles if if you don't know what they are right it's where the the camera is tilted at a very strange angle um it's supposed to represent like discomfort or unease um it's meant to reflect like a character's anxiety or fear within a scene there are scenes where, like, it, Mar- cut, it cut to Marius and Valjean talking on his wedding day. Yeah, and it's like a, a kind of like nice conversation, <laughs> and they're both happy, and it starts with a Dutch angle, and you're just like, why? why? But like, this happens throughout the film. Like, there are times where it would make perfect sense for a Dutch angle, and and it's, there's no Dutch angles; they're just close-ups. So, so I think I think for you, the lack of establishing shots. Like, the thing, that that was, like, your your thing. I think we were both bothered by the Dutch angles. My gripe is there is so much shaky cam in this movie. And I know mm-hmm. this was back in the year of our Lord 2012 when shaky cam was, like, all the rage. Yeah, but the freaking but, steady cam was invented in the 60s. They could have used one. They should have used one. They knew better. But but it, 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 it was just a hashtag artistic decision. But Hashtag Oscar bait. The moments... When this movie is like, like we were talking about in the beginning, like Jean Valjean is just 
traveling through France and there's all these wide landscape shots that are beautiful, beautiful and still and we're highlighting the gorgeousness of this country and then suddenly he gets on top of this hill and it's like uh, shaky, shaky, yeah. shaky. and I was like why why are we doing mm-hmm. this and I've I've hmm I didn't notice it the first time I saw this movie because I don't think I could think critically enough about it the first time I saw this movie. But this is a big bombastic musical where you're supposed to suspend disbelief a lot. Mm-hmm. And he's... But but the story itself is this really grimy, sad, dirty story mm-hmm. about the miserables. And so I understand why Tom Hooper was like, I want to make it realistic and gritty. But you could do that... If you were making Les Miserables the movie that wasn't the musical, but you Mm -hmm. wanted to make the musical, so let us look at these beautiful shots and and, and stay in one spot for a little while and not have these weird angles and just, like, make it pretty and big. He he lingers when he shouldn't, and he cuts away... When too it's quickly good. when when he has a good shot. There's a part um, in Do You Hear People Sing where they're like panning up the side of the carriage and there's this shot of a woman in the crowd mm-hmm. not named at all but it's this beautiful shot of her like looking up into the sun and filled with hope and it looks like uh, what's the French painting of the Liberty woman carrying the... Yes. It looks um, like The that. one that's on the cover of Coldplay's Viva yes. La Vida. <laughs> I, I am the most cultureless person ever that I'm like, yeah! The Coldplay the, one! The Coldplay one! You but, don't know your Jonas Brothers. You don't know the name of that French painting. It's just the Coldplay one. I mean... To be fair, I was the one who who mentioned that it was Coldplay one. Um, but but, but it's this gorgeous shot, and it's on the screen mm-hmm. for less than a second. No time at all. And it, I'm like, why aren't we? You know, I, I don't. I, I there's so much about the way that it's shot. Yeah. That we both agreed kind of bothers yeah. us. Um, um, speaking of which, real quick, I do want to talk about the unearned close-ups. Yeah. So Tom Hooper loves his close-ups in this. Um, and frankly, they're stupid, and I hate them. Um, and let me tell you why. So, Except for the butterfly one. That one's great. Th- that one's great. But but let me tell you why that one works, and the rest of them don't. <laughs> so, when you... Th- there's a lot of reasons that you could use a close-up. But close-ups are usually meant to show really intense emotion, which, granted, there's a lot of that in this. Um... Or scenes that are very intimate, right? We are close to the characters. We are in close proximity towards them. When all you do is have close-up shots... It weakens those moments. It weakens those moments. So, like, for example, um, this is another thing. I'm going back to my establishing thought shot thing. Establishing thought. (laughs) (laughs) I pictured it spelled T-H-O-T. Oh, me too. Um, Sorry, guys. Um... So, Tom Hooper, meet this establishing <laughs> thought. Okay. Um, That's your new nickname. I love it. Um, <laughs> so, there's... Uh, God, it's exhausting. So, let's look at On My Own, right? On My Own is a song about isolation and loneliness. It's a song about unrequited love. So, there's Samantha Barks singing her heart out, bless her soul. And 90% of the song is a close-up. So if I'm filming this scene, I'm going to start as far away from her as possible. Now, I get that this is probably hard to do when you're singing live and recording live. And when you're on an itty-bitty set. Right. 
But if I'm doing the scene, I want to show that she is on that street and there's no one there and it's raining and it's miserable because she is utterly and completely by herself. And then I slowly zoom in and spend part of the time at like a mid shot maybe so that we're close to her and we see what's going on in her full range of emotions. And then in that moment where she sings, I love you three times, which there, if you, if you watch, there's kind of a, an intentional way that most Eponines do it. The first is a confession. I love him. And the second is a realization. Oh, oh, oh I love no. him. Yeah. And then the third one is like resignation. I well, love him. I love him. But only on my own. And that is the money shot. And yeah. that is when you get close. And he just spins half the song right up on her face. Yeah. God. Oh, my God. Like Anne Hathaway, he could have done some work with her where he did some, some interesting camera shot stuff and... Now, now you said that the close-ups don't feel earned. I, I still, and I made a note of this when I was watching. Like I was, I did not cry nearly as much in this as I usually do when I watch this. Mm-hmm. Um, I dreamed a dream still makes me cry every time I watch it because that whole scene lingering on her it feels earned, and most of that is because we noted this as well. Even if we don't like the music in this. The actors are acting, and, and and a lot of them do a really good job. Not all of them, not in yeah. e- not all of them in every scene, but mm-hmm. Anne Hathaway, I believe every single word in From that song. From an acting perspective, she kills it, especially on the line. But there are dreams that, that cannot, cannot be. be. Um, That's when the first tear see, falls, and, and if I if die. You, if you're not crying, yeah. yet, that's when you lose it. Is it good musically? No. Is she trying to make it good musically? No, that's not her intention. That's not the point. She's trying to show you the raw emotion that someone in that position is grabbing that Oscar and then waltzing off stage. (laughs) Um, So I'm going to do one more quick thing about the shot, and then I'll shut up for a minute because I know you've got a list of things that you want to talk about. So some of the close-ups feel voyeuristic. Yeah. And what I mean by that is that the camera puts items between the viewer. It's like we're sneaking and, up on them and watching. Yeah, like he'll film, they'll film through like a grate or bars. And there are times where this works. Like baby Cosette is hiding behind a set of stairs and is being confronted by Madame Thenardier. Mm-hmm. That makes sense that we see Madame Thenardier through the steps mm-hmm. because we are aligned with Cosette. The problem is, is things like this also happen when, if you, if you watch, and it's, it's really distracting to me, if you watch, there's a part when Anne Hathaway is singing I Dreamed a Dream, and we see, like, the rigging of the ship, or, like, a beam in yeah. the ship, and it's there for most of the shot. So yeah. what it unintentionally does is it takes it from the camera being a um kind of like a spectator that we just like don't think about it you know there's there's a way to film it to where the camera is just like a stand-in for us observing the story and it's not a big deal and you just kind of pretend like the camera's not there Mm -hmm. but when you intentionally put things between your line of shot and um and the camera what you do is you make it feel like the camera is hiding so Mm -hmm. instead I feel like I am 
watching Fantine in a moment where I am not supposed to be seeing her instead of just bearing witness to this tragedy. Yeah. And I don't like it. I hate it. It makes yeah. me feel creepy. Um, so I will, that's, that's all I'm going to say for the shots. I'm going to stop now. <laughs> but they're bad and they're, I hate them. They're not good. I, you know, it's interesting because I think I think my experience when I first watched this, and I can look back on it now, was just my excitement at seeing this musical that I loved so yeah. much brought to brought to the screen that I didn't even really stop and think about, like, what is this like as a movie, holistically? Um, and I, I still stand by, I think a lot of these performers are giving really good performances. Um, I think there are some um, singing and, and musical things that are not good. I think there's actually a lot of things in here that are sung very well. And I mean, we talked about that. We both really like actually Eddie Redmayne singing. I feel like Eddie I Redmayne gets crapped on all the time. And I'm like, I like Screw Eddie Redmayne. I love Eddie Redmayne. Um, uh, I like all the singing at the end. I, I get some people really like Amanda Seyfried. I, I'm not a fan of the trail. I think it's just a little too much. I think one or two is fine, mm-hmm. but it's a little too much for me. See, but, I, I'm okay with it. On this on this viewing, this is the first time that I realized, oh, I'm pretty okay with all of the actors in this. They're all really good actors. Mm-hmm. I just don't like the direction. Yeah. And, um, oh my gosh. Okay. Okay. Here is where I turned to you and I realized this is what drove me insane. Um, I do think there's parts of this movie that are beautiful. And it's Les Mis. It's supposed to be really symbolic. There's, like, crosses everywhere, and Jean Valjean carries the flag, and it's very much a Jesus moment. Whatever. The moment where I realized that Tom Hooper's the one driving me insane with this movie was when they're in the barricade, and there's this random sign with an eye on it hanging up in the corner, and I (laughs) turned to Liv and said, Liv, did you know that Tom Hooper's read The Great Gatsby? And he knows what it's about? (laughs) The eyes of Dr. T.J. Eckelberg. Oh my gosh. It was so heavy-handed, and it drove Mm -hmm. me insane. And I don't know why that was, like, my moment where I was like, oh, it's the director. Yeah. It's the director. It's not the act. Leave the act. Leave. I can't believe I'm about to say this. Leave Russell Crowe alone. Yeah. It's not Russell Crowe's fault. <laughs> there are a few places where I have to wonder if it's the actor. Like, I, I am not personally sure if... Okay, so let's talk about Bring Him Home. It's my least favorite part of the, the musical, other than Javier's suicide. They're both terrible. Um, the crack. So uh, <laughs> the crack oh, when he hits the water is so oh, and they're terrible. Everyone's already made jokes about it, but it's it is painful in every sense of the word. Lindsay Ellis has a fun video about it too. I, is it in her cat's video or I don't remember. I don't remember. But anyways, um Yeah, so Bring Him Home first of all, is supposed to start very soft and crescendo. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas... <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm struggling not you, to do my impression. She, do it. Because it, um, she... You pointed out how it's like... I don't even literally, know how to do it right. Every time he tries to hit the note, it's like someone punched him in the gut. It's like, God on, on. <laughs> He goes, God on... Hi. <laughs> it's like, why are you belting this? This is supposed to be a personal chat between you and God. We don't need to hear this. Again, we know he can do it. 
We because, heard him do it live. Well, and because in the end, when he's dying, he, d- he, he does, does it. it. So it, he's a very. That's the thing that's so frustrating. Is like, I'm gonna be honest. Russell Crowe, bless his heart, was not right for this film. No, he was not. He was not. Can he sing? Actually, yes. Yeah, just not musical theater. Just singing. he's a rock singer. But he's not. He doesn't need to be in this yeah, movie. But that's been established. And so, and again, oh. Okay, so remember when I said, like, it's the act, it, they're good actors, it's bad direction. Mm-hmm. The way I can tell that is because the part where he puts his little medal on Gavroche mm-hmm. and the music swells, I lose my ever-loving yeah. mind. I break down. Well, think about, too, like, other movies that he's been in, like, Gladiator gets me every time. Like, he's yeah. a good actor. Yeah. But but that's the thing that, that frustrates me, I think, is because, like, Russell Crowe is such a newbie. And it was just a bad casting decision. And I think he did the best he could with what he had, which yeah. was not a lot. Yeah. Which is why I spend so much more time frustrated with Hugh Jackman. Mm-hmm. Because I've heard him see, I've heard him be Valjean not in this movie. Yeah. And I know he can do a better job than this. Which, again, I'm sitting there going... Which, again, sideways explains why so much of that is a problem. Um... One of the things he touches on is, like, the fact that, like, Hugh Jackman deprived himself of water to, like, look a certain way, which is dumb if you're a singer. Yeah. Um, but Again, that, the, that could have been direction again as well. Now, granted, yeah. he had to be on board for yeah. that. Yeah, so that's the thing. There was certainly no one there going, no, don't do this. Yeah, <laughs> it was very clearly a partnership between the two, at least. Because, um, because that's, that's again, like, part of the, the gimmickiness of it, right? Yeah. Like, we have to record this live, not because it necessarily makes every scene better, it makes some scenes better. Mm-hmm. Um, again, Anne Hathaway, mm-hmm. uh, uh, what was the other one we said we really liked? I um, love A Heart Full of Love. Yeah. That's my favorite part. But I feel like, I feel like so much of this movie is just like hashtag Oscar bait and that's it. Oh, oh. Uh there was only one scene in this that we skipped <laughs> to save time. Oh, hashtag Oscar bait original song. Yes, we skipped the added song that was not in the musical when Papa Valjean is leaving it's, with little Cosette. It's the most forgettable piece of music. It's, I have no idea. I I don't I don't remember. Yeah. I couldn't tell you what the song was called. Me neither. It's not, it's not I, good. I have no feelings for it. Um. Next. I gotta be honest. So, like, we, we, it was hard with this one for us, and I think this says a lot about the movie. It's hard for us to, to break down the difference between, like, what was good, what was bad, because so much of it, like, mingles together. And I think, I think for me, um... Until there would ever be, like, a better filmed adaptation of this, which this got nominated for Best Picture, which the tragedy of that is, I don't know that it will ever be filmed again as a musical. Yeah. Um, but until such time, the parts in this that I like, I do deeply treasure, and I do think they're really good. Um, so I've kind of, like, addressed, like, all the things that for me, um, don't don't work Mm -hmm. but there's so much in it that does and and again this this story means so much to me um that i still have like oh i've got i've got one more thing that we haven't talked about that is fabulous and is part of why i treasure this movie okay gavroche he's great (laughs) 
He's so good. He's really good. This little actor is so good. He's so cute. He is such a better symbol for the tragedy of this movie than little Cosette who's on the poster. Girl, we got so lit when he was like, <laughs> how do you do? My <laughs> name's Gavroche. Like, we both were like belting that Here part. Here's the thing about equality. Everyone's equal when they're dead. Oh, it's so good. Uh, Honestly, it's wonderful. Anytime they were like chanting like "Vive la France," yeah, we were both like <laughs> "Vive la France." And I think, I think that's it. I think the fact that this movie can still make me cry, can still make me cheer. Um, we did actually like giggle at parts of "Master of the House." Um, mm-hmm. We, you know, there's there's still so much yeah. that I enjoy yeah. out of this. I don't think I'm gonna watch it like again and again and again. Yeah. But at the very least, there's parts of mm-hmm. this that I I enjoy watching a lot. Yeah. I do have one more criticism, and it, it connects to Master of the House. Um, one thing that I another thing I don't like, and I think it it goes back to the close-ups, is that there's no energy because there's no movement. Yeah. But there was a part you really liked. I know what you're about to say. And in Master of the House, they do this low angle where everyone's dancing and it works. And it's the most energy that, like, the movie has the entire time. And I do wish that the the musical pacing, they slow the music down some. It needs to be faster. It needs to be more lively. Um, But, yeah, I will say... But um, they do slow it down... When Miss Tenardier is like sitting on again another who hand- is he another handsome handlebar mustache? I love him. I want to swing from his handlebar mustache as well. I don't know who he is, but sir, <laughs> we were like gawking over him the entire scene. You know who else's mustache I gawked over? Uh, oh, is it Raul? The guy who plays Raul? Yes. So yeah. the guy from the 25th anniversary of Phantom who played Raul, I don't know this actor's name. <laughs> I can't remember. he plays Soldier who's like, you have no chance. Which and in he the, has a spectacular mustache. Which in, the, which in the Western production is, you have no friends, which is so much better. <laughs> I, um, yeah. Um, I love, and I think, I think that's part of it, like, I love talking about this show because it is both so tragic and so hopeful and it's such Mm -hmm. a mix of emotions Um, and that's kind of how I feel about this movie. Mm -hmm. It's such a mix of emotions for me. If I had never seen the musical on Broadway... I would adore this film. Yes, because those because it, let's be real, it's it's the lyrics. Yes. Lyrically, this show is brilliant and it's so thematically cohesive and, and the musical themes tying together are brilliant. And the musical brilliant. themes are so circular. They yeah. always come back in the second act. Everyone that's established in the first. And so it creates this thematic through line that's really really nice. Um I just I can't watch this without thinking of its flaws but I'm still glad it exists because somewhere out there there's a little girl who's probably like 13 years old seeing this who who saw this when it first dropped and got into musical theater because of it and like I was musical Right? Because because that was my experience with the bad Gerard Butler Phantom of the Opera. I would yeah. not be in the musicals if that movie hadn't come out. And yeah. so I criticized this film, but I'm glad it exists. I'm I'm very glad it exists. Yeah. Uh, it it is still 
I, I don't think... Mm, it is still a treasure of mine. Um, but I, I, I feel like I have to be with the right people to watch it, to, to really to really be in the moment for it. Yeah. I don't think it's one that I'm like, oh, I'm sitting by myself. What am I going to watch? I'm going to watch Les, Les Mis. Mis. Yeah. But to be fair... I think even if the music, like there was a recording of the musical, I don't think I'd be like, I'm by myself. You know what I'm going to watch? Les Miserables, the musical. I think you need oh, to be with people. Oh, girl. <laughs> to watch Les I take that back. I did watch the 25th anniversary by myself. Yeah. But that was the first time I was watching it. Yeah. But I just, at this point, I just listen to it. Like I put it on and I get in the shower and then I'm like in the shower, like, you know, one day more, another day, another destiny. I did not live until today. One like, more day all on my own. One more day to revolution. We will nip it in the bud. Watch them run up. Catch them as they fall. I'm going to do all the voices and it's uh, going to be bad. Yes. And I love this musical. And screw you, Tom Hooper, is my takeaway. Thank you. Yep. Thank you to... The people who wrote this musical originally. Yep. Thank you to the actors for bringing your best. Yep. Screw you, Tom Hooper. Also, I'm kind of glad Cats destroyed your career. Um, because I don't think we could have taken too many more of these movie musicals. No. We, I'm going to make you watch Cats again at some point. No. It's gonna happen. I love Cats so much. It's so bad. Us watching Cats together is part of how this all um, began. Because it was... she. She said, I've, I've got this movie that was so terrible and you must watch it. And yeah, it was, it was bad. The thing is, is I really enjoy the movies that I like to critique are the ones that frustrate me because they had potential and blew it. Yeah. Cats put the bar so low and was so bad that it was just fun for me. Yeah. The fourth wall break that lasts like eight minutes at the end of the film <laughs> had me dying. I was just yelling at you. I was like, what's happening? I told you that when I saw it in the theater, Kyle stood, like, he didn't stand up, but Kyle screamed at, at the screen like there were people watching the show. We were not by ourselves. And, um... She said, like, now that you have seen many kinds of cats, or so, she said something about, like, what a jellical cat is. Um, and he was like, what is it? I still don't know! And, like, screamed it. <laughs> and there were all these kids behind us that just started dying and laughing, and it was so much fun. But, like, the absurdity of it all. I yeah. hope it becomes the next room. I hope people play it in theaters for years to come and make fun of it. Yeah. Um... I love sitting in the theater with a bunch of kids going, like, clapping, like, big stadium <laughs> clapping, like, oh, well, I never have they something, something, a magical Mr. Mustafa Lee's. I was, presto, I was here for it. Um, but yeah, so, um, anyways, no thank you, Tom Hooper. Yeah. Yes, thank you, everyone else. Gosh, um, Lord, don't give him Hamilton. Oh, God. Can you imagine? <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't think they will. No, they won't. But can you imagine? And again, I, now that Disney Plus has got it, it, yeah, it, the, it'll it, be, it may it'll not be happen. And if it doesn't happen, good. That's okay. Good. That's like a it, great thing. Yeah. So, Lizzie, how do we rate this film? I give this film... Uh, Seven 
Barricade Boys out of ten. Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna give this, um, one and a half silver candlestick out of two. Ooh, that's a, you win. That was a better ranking. Oh, that was good. Yeah, okay. Last, last thing. You said this and it was so, so insightful that they should have taken advantage of the things that this movie can do. So for example, like in the musical, we're not going to see those candlesticks again and again. And here we can. Yes. And it's so good. Like any anytime they do a close up on the candlesticks, I'm here for it. Um, oh, so that's how you do a symbol, children. That yes, it was. I, I do love that part. Yeah. Um, and I love my boy Colm Wilkinson. Yeah. I love him. Yeah. Okay, so uh, what are we watching? Well, I guess I guess the next movie is my it's movie. your pick. So I don't know if you have officially picked yet. I think I've settled on what we're doing next. Yeah. Um, I wasn't sure, but um, as you all probably know, the late great Sean Connery mm. recently left us. So our next movie is going to be Dragonheart. Which I know absolutely nothing about, except that Sean Connery is in it. It's lit. I'm excited. It's great. Um, so yeah, tune in next week uh, to hear us talk about bad CGI and Dennis Yay. Quaid. Wait, Dennis Quaid is here? Oh, Dennis Quaid is the main character. Dennis Quaid oh, yeah. is here? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dennis Quaid, Sean Connery. Great movie. Yes! Terrible, like, late 90s, early 2000s CGI Let's go. I'm now really excited. Okay. Let's do this. Let's do this. <laughs> Bye. Bye, friends. Thanks for hopping in the trash can with us. Give this week's movie a watch and tell us what you think. And let us know what movies you think are trashy treasure. Maybe we'll give it a watch. Follow us on Twitter at Liv and Lizzie to tell us your thoughts. And remember, no matter how trash you feel, you are deeply treasured. Bye!